Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience in Allen, Texas, or at church1132.com. If you got a Bible, go to Luke 10. I'm going to try to jump in this pretty quickly. We got some products. So I'm going to throw some product out. Uh, our first book called Prophetic Evangelism. I, I, uh, I've had certain encounters, uh, whether it's been with a Satanist or Wiccan or warlocks or otherwise, probably an unusual number, but I would probably say the majority of time, uh, every time I got a witness, and I'd say amazingly uh, uh, enough of those times, I got a chance to lead them to the Lord, or I got a chance to see them get delivered in addition to coming to the Lord. And I'm, and I'm telling you, it wasn't because, and, and, and with all due respect to a couple of my heroes, Billy Graham, Steps to Peace in God, Bill Bright, Four Spiritual Laws, it wasn't simply on the basis of sharing Christian principles that you see that level of people come to know the Lord. In each of those instances, God gave me inside information. You know, the kind that Martha Stewart went to jail for? No, 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 not that guy. The Lord began to speak to me about his love for them, about what has happened in their life, what he wanted to pull them out of. And each time that I've shared that, they, they, it's funny how that just totally leaves them defenseless. I prophesied over a psychic and, and told her three things that no one else knew about, and she dropped her mouth. This is a psychic who's getting paid for what she's doing. She says to me, how do you know that? And I said, Jesus, and then I end up leading her to the Lord. So anyway, I, I feel like if, if I were to walk up to Mark right here and say he doesn't know the Lord, and I say God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life, heaven is awesome, hell is hot, give your life to Jesus, you know, he doesn't know the Lord. You know, depending on his disposition and leanings, he may hear me. But if I say three years ago, you were in an automobile accident, uh, Winnebago, rolled over three times, you're L4, you're L5, you got a right shoulder injury, you came out of it with a, a crick in your, uh, in your neck, you were on a hospital bed three years ago, and you said, God, if you get me off this bed, I'll give my life to you. And then that God that you prayed that to wants a hold of your life. Now, we think that that is extreme. I'm telling you, God wants to use you like that. God is speaking like that, and it's just a matter of getting on that wavelength. So I want to give this to someone who's going to be a prophetic evangelist. All right, right there in the second row, my sister right here. I'm going, to, I'm going to toss that. Oh, good catch. Okay. Dallas Cowboys right here. That took a lot for me to say that, being I'm a Raider fan. Okay. Don't boo me. We got a school of healing. I've studied 30 years how to pray for the sick. I've gotten a chance to hang around people. I've studied the greats. That doesn't make me anything special. It just makes me a student. I've learned a lot as to what not to do to get results in praying for the sick. And I'd like to share some of that with you. But I, I joke, and I, I used to have a prayer ministry that made me sick. I would pray for them to get well. They didn't get well. And whatever they got, I got. I'm walking away with sniffles. I'm walking away, you know. And so uh, I feel like for so many years, I mimicked the great healing revivalists. Like if they prayed in a certain intonation, if they did a certain thing, I did that. And then I began to learn, don't mimic the movement. Before the movement, there was a conviction that Jesus was the healer. And before the conviction, there was a revelation. If I can get the revelation, it'll produce the conviction and out of me will flow the movement. I need to get back and get the revelation. So I did a four CD teaching at a War Cry School of Ministry. And uh, we squeezed five sessions into four. But it's how to pray for the sick and have a revelation. So it's for those that want to pray for people. But it's also for people who are struggling with illnesses and sickness themselves. I believe that God, Psalms 107 verse 20, he sent forth his word to heal. You meditate on this 
And man, something that happened. So I want to give this away. Who wants to pray for the, all right, you look like you'll pray for the sick, man. Give this to you. And uh, for the sake of time, I better start in this. We've got a book on revival. I'm going to talk about that. And, and we've got a two CD set on how to fellowship with the Holy Spirit and hear the voice of God. All right, here we go. Y'all boo me. All right, here we go. I can tell you didn't audibly boo me, but it was like, oh, okay. Luke 10, verse 38. It says, now it happened that as they went, he, that would be Jesus, entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him. Somebody say welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted, say distracted, with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen the good part, which will never be taken away from her. So... Uh, about actually at this point about a month ago I got a chance to walk the college campus where I gave my life to Christ I gave my life to Lord in college I wasn't raised Christian I wasn't necessarily raised non or anti-Christian or anything like that it, it, it's the circumstance of my life we grew up I joke but it's true we grew up po not poor Poe, when poor people call you poor, you lose your O and R by reason of that disrespect, and you don't have $250 to buy a vowel from Vanna, so, and they don't set food stamps on Will of Fortune, so you're just going to be poor. So I was poor, and uh, I uh, was raised by my grandmother, and I, I joked a little bit in the conference, but very serious on my grandma. My grandmother, if you don't know my grandma, my grandma is Medea off Diary of a Mad Black Woman without the ankle prison bracelet. I mean, she was no joke. She took discipline very seriously. Uh, she, she was serious, and so she raised me. My, my dad was not in the picture, and then I met my dad for the first time. My dad and mom met at a nightclub, uh, and uh, I was, the I guess, the oops, and uh, my dad wasn't interested that time at having a son or having a family for that matter. Uh, my mom called him up, said, hey, I'm pregnant, and, you know, and my dad kind of in no uh, uncertain terms let her know that he wasn't interested in that, but my dad came back around when I was five. So I had a, a dad between five and nine years of age, probably once a month, twice a month. My dad, uh, a very uh, educated man. He'd get a 10 in the area of education. He had two master's degrees. Uh, he worked for IBM in Silicon Valley in San Jose, California. Uh, he worked on the domestication of the laser beam, but there was no child support, no ownership or anything in that area. But I love my dad. I seriously did. For the time I had him, uh, you know, amazing. There, there's, all of us have our flaws, our weaknesses, but I, I believe in his heart of hearts, I believe that he loved me. When I was nine years of age, my dad was shot. It was proven in court. It was racially motivated. I've got friends on the police force. I just recently in your city got a chance to be with a guy who lost five friends in the Dallas shooting. And we wept together. And that precious brother washed my feet that night. And that was super humbling. I've got family on law enforcement. I absolutely thank God for law enforcement but in this particular instance, amen, uh, these police officers shot my dad. The guy that pulled the trigger had a background in the KKK. Imagine that. And got a badge, and he shot my dad. So I come home from school, nine years of age, don't have a father. So my high school years was in massive experimentation. I'm asking something to rescue me from this pain. I'm asking something to fill this hollow place in my heart. And no matter what I threw at it, no matter who held my arm this week, and, and no matter what went on, there was nothing you could do to drown that level of sorrow. 
There was nothing you could do that could kind of just whip yourself up or grab a book off the self-help section at Barnes and Nobles that would somehow bridge the gap between this empty place in my heart and the fulfillment that only Christ alone can bring to your life. There was a lawsuit, as there should be, over the unlawful murder of my dad. Today, that'd be multi-million dollars. Then myself and my two half-sisters, we got $20,000 apiece, which allowed me to go to a university. It was a private university, uh, University of Pacific, and God had his hand all over that. So I go to this school, and I'm, I'm hurting. I'm massive experimentation. I pledged the wildest fraternity I could find. I partied, like, nonstop. Everything, but the only thing I didn't do was drugs because I, I saw my grandma and I, I just made a vow, wasn't, wasn't out of any morality. It was just like, I'll never be out of control like that. So I actually got out of Oakland and went through college unsaved and didn't do any drugs. It was, it was crazy. Okay, I, I don't know why I told you that. I just told you that. All right. I come back from partying, I'm tore up. I'm tore up. And, and I just mean internally. It wouldn't be accurate to say I had a suicidal thoughts. I had a strategy. I had a plan and I was going to carry it out. But in that time, my grandmother went to a little small Pentecostal holiness storefront church in Lake Merritt where the Golden State Warriors two years ago had their ring ceremony in Oakland. My grandmother walked forward in a little small storefront Pentecostal church, gave her life to Christ, came back to our inner city West Oakland apartment, broke all our alcohol bottles. I'm a junior in high school. When you're a junior in high school, you think you know the cure to cancer. You know everything when you're a junior, right? So I'm looking at my grandma like, no, 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 no. Grandma, you don't, you know, do that. It's successive reduction. You gradually wean yourself off the substance and replace it. And grandma, she was already prophetic. She looked at me. She gave me that look. She said, no, no, no. Grandma don't need to take 12 steps. Grandma doesn't need to take one step. I came to Jesus. He set me free. It was amazing. She became the most transformed woman ever in my life. I knew there was a God. I, I didn't know how to get right with him. I didn't know if he would accept me. But there was no question that if you could deliver my grandmother after everything she went through, and she comes home and no longer needs alcohol, so she would go to be with Jesus. One year after her death, I'm coming back from this party, and I crowded in desperation. I said, God, if you're real, I want to experience you. And if you let me experience you, I'll give you everything. I pass out. I'm awakened at 3 o'clock in the morning. God's favorite time to wake you up in the morning. I've done some research. It's the beginning of the fourth watch of the night. That's the reason why, right? I'm awakened, and, and this is a valid testimony. Someone asked Jesus to come in their life. They feel something lift. They feel peace. They feel like, man, tears come to their eyes. That's a very valid testimony. Thank God for that. And for a long time, I told people that was my testimony, but it wasn't fully accurate. I did get that. But what initially I was afraid to tell them, and this is what I'll come to talk to you about, is this thing called encounter. I had an encounter. You see, anytime you come to church, it is, at least in the beginnings of it, it is an experience. When we worship God, it is an experience. When you have time alone with God, you get around a godly person. That, that experience of love, that warmth, that thing that you feel is an experience. But God wants to upgrade your experience into an encounter. Andrew Murray was a great, he's a prolific author, but a great missionary to South Africa. And he was speaking years ago to a group of missionaries. And here's what he said to these missionaries. He says, the problem with you missionaries, and he was speaking to a specific set, so it wasn't a generalization. He says, the problem with you missionaries, he says is that you believe in the presence of God, but you believe in the presence of God and you've not encountered him. 
One encounter changes everything. You have one encounter. I, I've done numerous uh, conferences, including at Christ for the Nations, Chris. I've done numerous conferences with uh, uh, Mama Heidi Baker. I was in Canada with Mama, Mama Heidi Baker. She is a phenomenal. Her and her husband, Roland, have a phenomenal. They're impacting a nation of Mozambique. It is amazing the, the young people in orphanages that are being trained, that are being used in signs and wonders and loving Jesus. And this woman has simply laid her life down. I'm in a conference in Canada. We're both doing this conference. And she shares, it was in your nation, I believe it was 1996, she says, I was going to quit the ministry. Not quit Jesus. Jesus is awesome. She was going to quit the ministry because her and her husband had labored, 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 labored. And he had three churches to show for it, which... By the way, we would be jumping up and down, right, if you had three churches, right? But for her, all the warfare, all the attack, everything, she's going to quit ministry. This is out of her own mouth, this incredible missionary. She says, but I walk forward at an altar in your nation. She says, I had an encounter with God. She said, well, the presence of God came on me in such power. She said, I got up from that encounter, and I now have 10,000 churches that I've planted in Mozambique, Africa, the power of one encounter. Billy Graham, I, I go often to North Carolina. I love to go to Billy Graham's library. That's like his kind of uh, place that is kind of a tribute to him. It's not at his house. I'm not at his house, I wish, okay? And so, and so they go through the various rooms and scenes of Billy Graham's life, and it begins by showing you that he was a dairy kind of, he was a son of a, a family that he had to get up early in the morning to milk cows, and then it takes you to another room, and in this room, uh, he was at a, an evangelist at that time called Mordecai Ham's meeting, and Billy Graham was just a young dairy farmer. Uh, Billy Frank is what I guess he was referred to as a kid. He walked forward, only one of two or three people that responded to the altar call, and he said he had an encounter with God that after that tent meeting, he walked out in the woods, and this guy has one encounter, and he comes back from that, and millions of people have given their life to Christ because of one encounter. Catherine Coleman, perhaps one of the greatest female evangelists used in signs and wonders. She would be in the Shrine Auditorium in Los Angeles, and this is on film, and she would point in different directions, and people that uh, were deaf, their ears would pop open because Jesus would heal them. She would have a wheelchair section, and in that section, she would graciously and humbly just ask for Jesus to come touch him, and you would see people get up out of their wheelchairs. I've talked to people that were in their meetings, and they said, oh my God, it was so powerful. She was just a red-haired, right? We, we call him Ginger. Okay, Ginger, that's awesome, right? She was a red-haired, freckle-faced, right, woman from the Midwest, and she described she had one encounter with the love of God, got up out of one encounter, and became one of the greatest miracle evangelist revivalists of our era. I'm in a room one night, and I said, God, if you're real, I'm going to experience you. If you let me experience you, I'll give you everything. And I, I pass out. I'm awakened at 3 o'clock in the morning, and here's the part. I don't just feel goosebumps, peace, something left off me. I look out in my dorm room at the college campus at University of Pacific. I see Jesus like I see you. Proof of it is my computer engineering degree is collecting dust on a shelf in my room because God so impacted me, I said no to Intel, which that was very easy to say because I'm saying yes to Jesus. When you say yes to God, it empowers your no to what is good. I'd rather have what is God over what is good. Come on, somebody. 
People say, what did he look like? It looked like God took the sun out of the sky and dropped him in my room. It was the brightest light. I'm like this right here. I'm blinded, and I hear the audible voice of God. He says several things to me, one of which I'll share with you. And he says to me, actually two. He says to me, I've given you what you've asked for. I now call upon you to give me what you've asked for. And what was that? That was everything. I said, God, if you... Allow me an experience. I'll give you everything. He gave me more than an experience. He gave me an encounter. And when you encounter God, it's easy to lay everything on the altar. The, the, so often we have a modern Christianity where people have not encountered God. I, I'm a little OCD, and this is my OCD thing. If I get your cell phone or your iPad or whatever, and on the app store you got numbers accumulating, meaning you have upgrades you've not clicked on, the OCD kicks into me, I'm clicking to get your upgrades. There's something about me, I want you to have your upgrades. I'll get my upgrade. I want you to get your upgrade. Why? Because upgrades fix the bugs. Upgrades add improvements to whatever the platform is. I feel like the Lord is saying to us, we have upgrades available to us that we've not taken advantage of. We're still running off 2012 Christianity. Come on, somebody. We're still running off our Christianity from 1972 when God says, I got upgrades for you. If the experience of Christianity could change a nation, America would have been changed by now. But what we have is that if the experience doesn't get upgraded to an encounter, it gets downgraded to an event. And if all we have is events, events don't have the power to get that person off crystal meth, to get crack cocaine out your system, to break alcohol off your grandmother, come on somebody, to get you from quick cutting yourself and get suicide out of your system. An event can't do that. And what we need is a group of people and what the world around us is crying out for is an encounter. Somebody say encounter. One day, Mary and Martha, Mary and Martha. Martha's probably the older sister. She is the matriarch of the family. She invites Jesus to come to the house. I mean, you know, it's an admirable thing. The Bible says she welcomed Jesus into the house. How many of you know we worship God this morning? We welcome Jesus in the house. How many of you understand that? Psalms 22 3, the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. It's so one thing, but let me, let me just say this. It's awesome we welcome him here, but we also need to welcome him into our own individual homes. Worship shouldn't just be a one-time-a-week deal, right? It shouldn't just be, we got to have the whole band worshiping, man. I mean, I'm telling you what, uh, we need some folks that will worship God without, come on, the, the drums, the keyboards, the guitars, and the bass. We just need somebody, you'll get out there, you'll get an old spoon and a pot, whatever it is. You just start beating like the old-timers. You're going to worship, nobody's going to stop your praise when you really get worship on you. You don't need a fine system or background or hill songs or Jesus culture, whoever else, these are worship teams. You don't need all that. All you need is a heart of gratitude that says, Jesus, you're worthy. And by the way, worship is the quickest way to encounter. Adoration opens up the encounter realm. The Lord spoke to me, and, I said, and he said very clearly, and if I had more time to unpack it, I would, but that a massive number of people are going to give their life to Christ in America. And I started looking out at America like you, and I'm going, wow, I wonder how this is going to happen. And the Lord spoke to me, and he says, I'm opening the encounter realm. There was a Fox correspondent reporter that was an avowed atheist. I believe it was Fox Network, but I do, I do remember her name, Kirsten Powers. She all of a sudden went to bed one night, had an encounter where Jesus showed up, and she was dreaming. She was served in the Clinton administration 
She was awakened one night by Jesus, and Jesus says, I am he. She wakes up radically transformed, gives her life to Christ, begins to write for ministry today. Her, her other unsaved atheist friends did the Mokoki Coconut off Home Alone 2 look. They were shocked that she got saved. And I prophesied to you, as we go into 2017, we're going to hear stories of people in Hollywood, people in the media, people in government, that all of a sudden they're going to go to bed one night, atheists, hardcore, trapped in whatever mentality or lifestyle that they've been sold, but they're going to have one encounter with God, and one encounter with God changes everything. One encounter. Come on, touch somebody. Say one encounter, one encounter, one encounter. She welcomed him. Martha welcomed Jesus in the house. But how many of you know, it's one thing to welcome Jesus in the house. It's another thing to welcome what Jesus came to do. She, Martha welcomed Jesus in the house, but the very next thing that we read about Martha, it says, but Martha was distracted. She was distracted. So here's the thing. It's possible to be in the same room as Jesus, but not have room for what Jesus came to do. She's in the same room. Martha's in the same room as Jesus, but because of her mental space, she is not receiving an encounter. This is just an event. You put together a nice dinner. Jesus came. You got a nice event. You got the nicest event going on in the, in the region, but the event could be upgraded into an encounter. This is what Mary would do, but Martha, you're distracted, so all it was for you is an event. The movement conference can't just be an event. It must be upgraded to encounter. Because an encounter, one encounter, changes everything. Martha is distracted, and so she welcomed Jesus in the house. And by the way, after a while, uh, Martha began to become critical of Mary because the Bible contrasts Martha with her sister Mary, and it says Mary went and listened at Jesus' feet. Somebody say listened. Hmm. There were at least two people in the room, three people counting Jesus, of course, two people in addition to Jesus, Mary and Martha, that the narrative of Scripture tells us. We could count that there were two other people in the room with Jesus. How many of you know only one was really there? We can do a head count and find out how many people are in this room, but only Jesus knows who's really here. If we could do one of them Texas State Trooper radars on your head and we could broadcast up on the screen what you're thinking about, we could find out where you're really at this morning. <laughs> put it on somebody's head I can't believe that brother's in church he still owes me $200 he tried to swindle me out of that old business deal right you clicking on another guy I can't believe she's wearing it she's looking over here I can't believe she's wearing the same dress she done wore that six times this year she got it from Ross dress for less you need to get more dress for less come on somebody you know you don't know where folks is at in a, in a, a given moment it happens to all of us but if you're hungry for an encounter, you begin to turn and shift. Come on, your little satellite dish of whatever it is that you're focusing at, and you begin to lock into Jesus. Because this is a time in which, again, I want to re repeat the phrase. The Lord spoke to me, opening the encounter realm. You know the secret of all revival? Saul of Tarsus was killing Christians. One encounter with God knocks him off his horse. He gets back up. 
loving all he hated, defending all he persecuted. The man gets up and writes over half the New Testament, right? He walks into cities. It's revival or riots, but neutrality is not on the menu. And it all happened because of one encounter. What if God would open up what he opened up on the Damascus Road? What if he would open that up over Adelan, Texas, somebody? What if he would open it up over that Friday Night Light Stadium right across the street? The secret weapon of revival is encounter. No one is off limits. You, you look at anybody, you think, oh, there's no way they would give their life to Christ. Amen. They're, they got this. They got that. They don't need God. They got this. All it is, all of America, all of humanity is craving for one encounter with God. Where the love of God, the peace that passes all understanding, splashes down on your soul that's been drenched. And all of a sudden, it shifts everything. Martha's in the room. She starts getting mad And Mary. I begin to see this in churches where all of a sudden people who are really going after God, people that are getting lit for Jesus, that the other people that have sat back and they're there at the Christian event, but they're not trying to upgrade it to an encounter. The experience downgrades to an event instead of upgrades to an encounter, and then they become critical. Martha starts criticizing, hey, hey, Jesus, do something about Mary. She doesn't care. I'm back in the kitchen doing all this work, and, and Mary's in there, and this is what I love. When you are a Christian encountering God, Mary didn't have to defend herself. Jesus did. Martha, Martha, come on, somebody. By the way, when Jesus said your name twice, you in trouble. Simon, Simon. Come on, Peter, Peter, come on, Saul, Saul, right, Martha, Martha. He becomes your defense. There was a tradition in that day, an understanding that if you invited someone in your house, you would prepare food for them. So here it is. Martha is divided between the tradition that she's got to prepare the meal. So here's tradition, and here's encounter. I wonder how many Christians are somehow in the crosshairs, and they're divided between old tradition of just, I'm going to go through the motions. I'm just going to do this thing by rote. Amen. I'm on autopilot. This is what I do. I'm going to appease a little more guilt off me. I'm going to come to church Sunday or whatever else. And they're divided between tradition. The Bible says she was distracted. I believe there are people that maybe you're visiting, and this is new for you. And I feel like there can be so many distractions that can pull you away. But let me tell you what. When it came down to it, when I'm ready to kill myself, my, I, the flashback was of my grandmother that there was a power. And somehow between the tradition, my tradition was partying, okay? My tradition was, you know. <laughs> that was my tradition. And I'm torn between my tradition or coming to the feet of Jesus, and all of a sudden something just broke, and I recognize I done did this, and if this was the answer, it should have answered by now. Come on, somebody. If this was the solution, I should have something solved in my life at this point. But no, this isn't working right here, okay? And so shh, I'm getting to Jesus' feet. I believe that all across America, there are people that are coming to Jesus' feet. Now, here we go. Just a couple more, and you guys are doing so good. Come on, just tell somebody, say, you're with them today. You're with them today. Come on, tell them, tell them that. You're with them. How important is an encounter? An encounter can turn a realization into a manifestation. You can realize God's love, but when you have an encounter, it manifests. You can realize God's good, but when you encounter it, it manifests. There's so many people that have good thoughts but all of a sudden, it can shift where it's not just a thought for you. It becomes an encounter for you. Now, quickly, we don't have time to fully 
read it, but trust me on this. In John 11, here is the next scene. The next scene that we have is that Jesus comes, Martha's distracted, Mary comes, she's at the feet. So there's a contrast between Mary's listening at Jesus' feet and Martha's laboring. Now, follow me. Martha chose the laboring over the listening. I, if I can be honest with you, I'm a little bit more by nature, I'm probably more of a Martha than a Mary, but God's been speaking to me that in, 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 in what is necessitated in this next move is that we get alone with Jesus and we have encounters with God. That an encounter is what you're missing. If you feel stale in your Christian walk, you feel like you've kind of come to church but you've never committed, I submit to you perhaps the missing ingredient is one encounter. She's laboring. She chose laboring over listening. It's like, Martha, girl, you could have fixed the meal before he came and just go ahead and get at his feet or just say, you know, the meal can get cold. I got a better meal sitting on my couch right now. I need to go get at the Jesus meal here and we'll let the lot, whatever, whatever the stuff you eat, man, we'll get that later. Man, we need to go over and get at Jesus' feet. John 11, between Luke 10, John 11, they have a brother by the name of Lazarus. And he's pretty famous, Lazarus, because when you come back from the dead, people have a tendency to remember you, okay? He dies. John 11, they both come, Mary and Martha. Martha first, Mary. They both come to Jesus. And they said to him, they come to Jesus because their brother died, so they're coming on behalf of the brother. And Martha comes first. And she says, Master, Master. She says, Your servant, Lazarus, has died. And had you been there... You know what I'm saying? You, you sense a little, you know, passive-aggressive, a little bit of guilt trip there. Like, I'm going to acknowledge you, Lord, but at the same time, had you been there. A <laughs> little bit later in the day, Mary comes, and Mary says the exact same thing. In fact, I looked it up in the original. There's no distinction between what they said. See, if you don't get it, you're not going to get what I'm about to break down to you. Martha comes first, says, Master, Master, Lord, Lord, uh, your servant, you know, uh, Lazarus has died. Had you been here? You know. And then Mary comes. She says the exact same thing. But let's go back. You guys with me, right? Okay. When Martha says it, she gets a lecture. I am the resurrection and the life. And goes on and on and on. When Mary says it, Jesus goes on to say, where have you laid him? Martha gets a lecture. Mary gets a Lazarus. So here is my question. What type of Christianity will it take to pull a resurrection out of Jesus? What type of Christianity? Because Lazarus is Dallas, Texas, and the greater Dallas area. Lazarus is Cleveland, Ohio. It's San Francisco, California. It's New York. It's Los Angeles. What type, what brand of Christianity in North America is Jesus looking to partner with to bring a resurrection? Because what I'm saying is, the encounter changes everything for you, but let me tell you what, when you get your encounter later on, you can pull a resurrection out of somebody. What's the difference between the two? And this is where I'm going to begin, I'm going to close, I really am. What's the difference between the two? Well, we know this. Martha labored, says she was distracted, but she labored. Mary listened. I looked up the word listen. Are you ready for this? We're almost done. Listen means to give rapt attention, R-A-P-T, rapt attention. What it means is, is that if you want to get an encounter with God, you got to focus on Jesus. Jesus has to become your obsession. He's got to become your focus. See, Martha was distracted. 
The, by definition, remember, we're, we're looking at the word listen. Mary listened to Jesus. Martha's distracted, laboring in the kitchen. She's laboring. Mary's listening. Martha's laboring. Mary's listening. It means to give rapt attention. And what I say to you is that we've got to make Jesus our focus again. There's so many things in this generation pulling at you. There's so many things that's pulling. I mean, the social media, man, you walk past, you'll see families at restaurants. Everybody got their cell phone out, man. And I'm like, hey, y'all get some time together, man. This is precious. You may not have that person across the counter from you 25 years from now, wherever. Man, get time. And I think how much more are we distracted from Jesus? Say she give rapt attention. That's a whole sermon right there. But the second shade of the meaning is amazing. The word listen, Mary listen, means give rap attention, but second of all, it means to absorb. Absorb. When Mary was there, she wasn't just listening. She's getting an impartation. She said, I'm not there just to hear a good word, man. I'm telling you what, and Pastor Dustin, you preach as good as anybody ever heard, but I'm going to tell you, Pastor, I'm not here just to hear and listen to a good word. I'm going to absorb. I'm a, in fact, you might invite somebody in here, which I don't think Pastor Dustin would, and they don't preach as good as you, and they're all right, but that's okay. I'm still going to give my impartation. Come on, you may not be able to preach like this person or that person, but I'm so hungry, it doesn't matter. You may not be singing my favorite worship song. That's okay. We may not be singing oceans. We may be singing waves, but come on, I'm going to get me some Holy Ghost outpouring in the midst of whatever we're singing. When you're hungry for God and you come to absorb, the, the word there is a picture of taking a dry sponge and putting it in water and pulling that thing out. And I believe that there are people here that I've come to absorb. I'm absorbing. You don't know it. I'm, I'm, I'm receiving. I'm, I'm getting something. And here's what I submit to you. What Mary absorbed in that room was exactly what she would need. See, what God wants from you, he first comes to bring to you. He wept over Jerusalem. He said, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how long to gather you together? Where a hen would gather together her chicks. But you wouldn't have it. Why? Because when he came to Jerusalem, Jerusalem pulled a Martha. They went back to their religious traditions rather than doing a Mary and getting to Jesus' feet. And then Jesus made the connection. He went on to say, as a result of this, not one stone will be left on another. In other words, your enemies are going to come. I came to you to give you something that could have averted that, but because you didn't receive, you were vulnerable. You couldn't pull even your own resurrection later out of the crisis you would be in. I believe every time we have a moment to get along with God, it is prophetic because God first comes to give to you what he will ask from you later down the line. You see, I need another scripture. I'm not sure about this. John 15 says, if you abide in me, let my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish to be granted. Partnership with God comes after the abiding and getting in a place of absorbing and encounter. You encounter, you're now the Christian that can pull a resurrection. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.